mentally, why are you worried about a patient booking their next appointment? Why are you worried about how they're going to pay for their treatment? That's not your worry. That's for someone else to deal with. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Patrice I'm Jazz Glanty, and in this interference cast, we're going to cover the topic of treatment coordinators. Is it right for your practice? We hear from Emma Yates, who is a nurse turned into a treatment coordinator. And a treatment coordinator, if you haven't heard of this term before, is someone who is kind of in between the reception team and the dentist, right? They've got enough clinical knowledge to discuss the pros and cons of different treatment and help the patient in their journey to find out what's the best treatment for them and also help them to pay for their treatment, how to finance it, and answer those niggling queries they sometimes have and sometimes patients have to wait some time to hear from the dentist. But that treatment coordinator is a friendly face, right? They're not the scary dentist. They're a friendly face. They're an advocate for the patient. And I've seen over the past few years, lots of different practices adopt the treatment coordinator model. Now, I'm not sure if it's just a UK thing or a worldwide thing, but this is definitely becoming more integrated in dental practices. So if you're a principal wondering if this is the right move for you, or if you're maybe a nurse, thinking, hey, you know, could I be a treatment coordinator? Or perhaps you're an associate and you like the idea of your practice having a treatment coordinator. And maybe you can send them this episode to weigh out the pros and cons of it as per the discussion that we have with Emma. So let's join Emma now. And at the end in my outro, I'll let you know how you can claim CPD for this episode. Emma Yates, welcome to the Protrusion Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, absolutely brilliant. It's a Saturday. I was working clinical this morning. I've had a couple hours of... De-stress, but now, now I, I love. I, I'm doing the bit which I love, speaking to different people, learning, sharing, and today's topic is treatment coordinators, of which you are for the past six years, as you told me before we hit the record button. I have so many questions from you, like so many practices could be employing this way of working and they probably have so many questions and might be hesitant for some reason, so many uh, concerns before uh, doing such a big step. So I think this episode today uh, between you and I will go a long way in helping uh, answering some burning questions that the community might have about having the TCO model. But just before we do kick off properly, just tell us a little about yourself, your journey, how did you get into being a TCO, that kind of stuff. Of course, yeah. So I started off as a trainee nurse uh, when I was 18. I actually did BTEC forensic science in college, decided that uni was not for me. I wanted to go out into the working world, earn some money, but I wanted to stay with a medical background. So went along to my dental practice, um, had a checkup, and they were saying, oh, we're looking for a trainee dental nurse. Are you interested? I'm like, actually, yeah, I would be interested. Went along for the day and really enjoyed it. And that's because the cat that my journey that was that I love dentistry love teeth love everything about it are I you think... in the same practice now by the way no no so I left okay. there quite a while ago I did stay there for nine years though and um, wow. I did all my post qualifications there so my radiography my uh, floor application impression taken everything that basically got me to where I was today I worked with a fantastic dentist she taught me everything I needed to know um, and then at the point of nine years she said I'm leaving, I'm going to go work in a private practice down the road. What are you going to do next? And I was like, I'm not sure. It's all I know. Like, I was so comfortable there. 
And then she went, well, why don't you go and see Tipton Training? They're looking for a nurse. Now, the background of that was the dentist that I worked with such a long time, Siobhan, she did the Tipton Training courses. And I learned a lot about occlusion, face both, impression taking from her that she learned from Paul. And it was a scary moment, but I took the jump and I applied for the job. I met Paul, Louise and the team and they liked me and I got the job. So I worked with Paul three years. Um, traveling around and with his dental nurse, his course coordinator, I helped the girls out in the admin team, attended the courses as a sort of a course coordinator. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I think I learned most of my dental knowledge from Paul and his team, which I think made me the person I am today as well. Amazing. Um, got a little bit too much. We traveled uh, to Scotland, to London, we were traveling to Dubai. And it just got very much quite hectic within your personal life. So I decided to take a break and go back into general, general dentistry. And I've been back in general for about six years, which is when I started doing treatment coordinating, wanted to come away from clinic for a little while. Okay, so when you were with Tipton team, uh, with their training department and whatnot, and also in the clinic, you were doing general nursing, dental nursing, and not, not, not a TCO at that point? No. No, I okay, was and so for the last six years. Okay, got it. Did uh, Tipton Clinic not consider keeping you on as a uh, treatment coordinator? Did they have a treatment coordinator in their clinic? Um, so they didn't at the time. Uh, majority of the time, the nurses within the clinical team for the dentists that did the courses kind of managed it within the top business. I do know now that they do have a TCO at Tipton Training that purely deals with Paul's patients, but at the time it was more his dental nurse slash me that just dealt with the day-to-day running of the surgeries, obviously on the courses we helped as well. So yeah, at that point, we didn't really have the TCO as such, uh, but I do know now that they've introduced that over into their sort of business plan. Do you think it's uh, grown up, uh, in the last so many years? Do you n- know other colleagues who are also treatment coordinators? Do you have a community of treatment coordinators? And do you think that this is really accelerating or do you think it's staying stagnant and perhaps practices have been resistant to adopt a treatment coordinator? No, I think the complete opposite. Uh, dental practices are really trying to get this TCO role into their businesses. I think the problem is with dentists now is they're so busy and obviously got families. The admin time it takes for a dentist to look after one patient is just, it's too much for one person to deal with. And they have to have a more disciplinary team to be able to do that for you. I mean, the whole idea of a TCO is it's that middle person. So you've got your reception team, you've got your dentist, and you've got a middle person who's got the clinical knowledge, who can take some of the heat off the dentist, but can also support the front of house team as well. And that's how, that's how I fit into the team. I mean, there's a big, massive range of TCOs within the, in the industry. There's ones that are literally a bit more of a glorified receptionist who will they'll deal with payment, make appointments, and that's really what their role is. We've got ones that are a little bit more clinical, which will take scans, talk through payment plans, and create treatment plan letters and get in touch with the patient and discuss that with them. And then you've got probably more my sort of TCO where I do a lot within the business as well as the treatment coordinator as well. So I would look at development, how we can introduce new things into their business, from what patients have told me about what they want from a dentist. So there's a lot of different elements of a TCO. It's just finding the right one for you and what you want from a TCO, which I think why the pay scales for TCOs are so vast from like a normal nurse fee all the way up to like a really high fee for a manager basically. It's, it's a very good point you make because there are different types of uh, treatment coordinators. There are different roles that they're assigned. And this obviously depends on what works best for the clinic, the kind of setup that the clinic has, what they're trying to aim, what they're trying to achieve. What is, would you say, the standard 
model at the moment. And I want to, what I want to know, Emma, is the, the patient journey, basically. The standard, uh, you could talk about yours and how you've adapted it over time, how you might have improved it, for example. But how do you think most practices are using treatment coordinators where in the patient journey? Because I know that some practices, what they have it is that the treatment coordinator is the first person you meet. They get the history, they take the photos, they take the scans, and they'll do a handover to a dentist. Whereas others, like they see a dentist first, and then in between they have a follow-up chat. It's the treatment coordinator who's explaining most of the fees and stuff, and and follow up a, a week later saying, you know, how's it going? I had a chat again with the dentist. This is what we think. What model do you use, and what are the most people using? So I think a lot of people are using the model where they see the treatment coordinator post chat with the dentist. I personally don't like that. Uh, I feel like don't build that relationship up with a patient if you don't meet them from this offset. Most of my treatment coordinating knowledge came from when I worked in orthodontic practice. So I worked one of the Northwest's uh, largest orthodontic practice for about two and a half years. And they predominantly work with treatment coordinators. That's the first person that you see, that you deal with. They educate the patient on everything they need to know. And the orthodontist will literally pop in for five minutes and go, yep, you're suitable. No, you're not suitable. Off they go. And then you're back to the TCO and then they take over the selling role and making the appointment. So I've been brought up with my TCO journey to be very much the main part of a new patient. That is who you're seeing. Yes, the dentist has a massive role in the clinical side, but you're building that relationship so that the patient knows that you can be the person they go to and not have to wait to your dentist. When, when going into general practice where I am now, they didn't have a treatment coordinator. So I kind of developed a role within what I've been taught and, and what I would have liked to have done as a, as a treatment coordinator. So I introduced the 10-minute chat pre-new patient examination so that they I can get to know the patient. And I ask all the boring questions, not because I don't want the dentist to do it. It just means that patient feels you've got a clinical background. So I'll ask the things like, toothbrush do you use? Do you use a fluoride toothpaste? Do you clench and grind? Um, do you have sleep apnea? Do you snore at night? All these kind of things. They go, oh, actually, that's really interesting. We asked that question before. And it means that that dentist is not spending the time on them icky questions, or so to speak, the fluffy questions that you need to know about, but really you want to get in the mouth and start looking and, and excited what's going to happen and, and divide the treatment plan. So I kind of take that off the dentist. And I do that and pass that over and my hand over to the dentist. That then means the patient feels that I understand what's going on. And then the dentist knows I understand the patient's background as well, whether it was they're nervous, they've got a health condition, they're interested in a certain type of treatment they don't offer. So then I have to refer them to another dentist. So it just means that I'm involved in that conversation and the patient understands who I am as a person as well. Then I will chat to the dentist, tell them everything I know about the patient, write it all up in the clinical note. This is in front of the patient? Like, I'm just trying to get, get the, the, the details here. Like, Are you going to walk with the patient to the dentist and do a, like a handover in front of the patient? Or is this like on a different day? So I there's two different types I've done in the past. One practice I've worked at, we do it in front of the patient. Uh, this, now at Parkfield, I do it, get the patient sit back in the waiting room just for a few moments and I'll go and have a chat with the dentist before they get the patient in. What do you like? I like that. <laughs> oh. you, you like it so the patient's outside and you can really yeah, uh, tell no, them what you think. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you've got, there's some things that you don't want to say in front of a patient because you don't want to upset them. I mean, it could be yeah. anything from like, they're very chatty. Oh my God, you know, be careful. Don't, we don't have too much like questions about this, that and the other. Get them in the chair, get back, get on with it. 
or it could be the fact you know they've they've opened up and said oh I've um, got an eating disorder I'm worried about this that and the other because you've discussed a bit of diet it might have really bad sugary habits and they're very nervous about telling dentists that they've got a habit so that's when quite nice them to tell me and I can just pass on that question and the answer to the dentist and they don't have to talk about it until it comes to the end of the consultation and possibly some treatment might be needed to sort of tackle that. And um, so that's nice. What I like about that, Emma, is that, you know, I can imagine if, you know, if I'm a treatment coordinator and I'm uh, sort of going by my history and I'm trying to present all these photos uh, and you're doing it and sometimes things are in a random order and you need to collect your thoughts, but the patient's watching you and you kind of get this stage fright, but it's got a different tone to it. So I like the fact the patient's outside and you can just be like, okay, have a, a one-to-one and just have your time to sort through things and, oh yeah, by the way, this. And and so it's, it's less pressure. Do you feel that? Yeah, exactly. And it means that you can kind of dip in and out of dental things. So... I mix up my questions. I'll start off with, you know, last visits and what you do on a boutique. They'll ask them what they do for a living. I'll go, oh, well, by the way, what do you do for a living? Like, what's yours? What do you do for a job? And then maybe we'll have a chat. Maybe they're a teacher and they're quite stressed because they've had the GCSE class just finished or they're just about to finish for half term and they're changing schools. And then you go back to then they go back to another sort of question to do with budget and, um, you know, if they want any cosmetic treatment. So I kind of break up the questions from clinical to personal to clinical and then explain what's going to happen in that checkup so they're not going to just get flung in the chair sat back and then all these numbers and letters are being read out rabbit x-rays next minute people leaving the room so it's nice that they get sort of a pre-chat to kind of know what to expect especially because I find a lot of our patients come from NHS and private NHS examinations of worlds apart especially the time that they spend in the chair and I do feel like patients might get a little bit like, oh, I've been in this chair for a good half an hour now. Like, what, what's up? What's happened? Why am I in this chair for so long? So they've got someone to give them a heads up and say why we do things differently and what we're going to do. Then I think that helps relax the patient. It makes them, again, feel comfortable within the team that they're actually seeing. I mean, I think there are so many advantages to working with the treatment coordinator model. Like the patient feels like they've got someone on their side. You know, they're, they're not the scary dentist, right? They've got someone on their side. The other benefit with the dentist is that, you know, some dentists are terrible at it and they don't like talking the money, right? They just hate it. And I see you nodding now for those listening. And it's great to have someone who just maybe trained for that uh, and I think a lot of dentists might appreciate that and that can work in different ways I think it's great to have um, so much information given to a patient before they actually go in just like you said the, the advantages are numerous I want to ask you a tricky one what do you think are there any disadvantages of having a treatment coordinator for a practice are there any times that you felt that you had to change what you're doing to better suit a dentist or uh, anything that practices need to consider before adopting this model yeah for sure I mean obviously everything comes with a couple of negatives I mean the big one is obviously a wage is obviously you're employing a person to do that job I mean a lot of dentists try and do get around it by having a multi-skilled nurse so they'll do nursing some of the week and then they'll do treatment coordinating some of the week I personally don't agree with it I think it's too much for a nurse and a TCO role to be merged especially when they're trying to do what they're supposed to be doing so yeah a wage is a big factor it's an extra person in the building that you're paying a, a daily wage to the second thing is they need their own space they can't do it at the front of reception they can't do it in your surgery because you're in there so most of the time they need a dedicated room or space to be able to have these conversations with patients Prior to the refurb, the practice I work at the moment, I basically used to use spare surgery if I needed to. So I'd do it at the beginning of the sessions, lunchtime, end of day, free consultations. 
And luckily I had a small room with a desk in that we could have a chat in pre and post treatment about things like that. So yeah, space is one, wage is definitely one. And then finding the right person. I mean, a lot of people think every dental nurse could be a treatment coordinator, but that isn't the case. I think it's really important that the dentist listens to what the treatment coordinator says and that they're happy with the values and the way they're delivering the treatment plans because that's the person who's selling you. Like, you need that person to understand everything about you. I mean, I work with five dentists. They're all different. Everyone's different. <laughs> Jags likes consent. Marion likes me to tell, ask them loads of pre-questions. Arfine likes big treatment plans and then to be out on time. So you've, you've got a lot of dentists that you're looking after and you have to understand them. So you have to get the right person. Someone who's obviously a nurse is brilliant because they understand all the clinical, but administration, you know, organization as well, that is the case. So I'll say the three ones that do work against the most slightly. I think it makes sense to have a GDC registered nurse to, to take on these duties because then they can do the scanning, they can do the photos, they can have that extra clinical input. Whereas if you take someone who's like a receptionist without a GC registration, not being clinically trained, then they're really then becoming a glorified receptionist. We're just trained to talk more dental. Would you agree with that? Yeah, completely. I feel like sometimes if you're non-clinical, it can look very salesy. It's kind of like going to buy a car at the end of your appointment, <laughs> which is not what you want to do. <laughs> at the end of the day, I always like to focus on a dental health point of view. So I'll always sit down with the patient and say, how was your appointment? First thing I want to know. Good, bad, did, things you didn't understand. Then I'll go through exactly what the dentist has just told me. So after the appointment, uh, they'll pop the patient back in the waiting room and I'll pop in and have a quick debrief with the dentist and they'll just go, this filling, this fill, this fill, this option, da, 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 this many splint, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll go, right, okay, back to you. I'll bring the patient in and go through the x-rays again, through the cost, through why they need the treatment, the benefits, the optional treatment, and then ask them what they want to do. Like, what do you want to have booking today? Do you want to think about it? Do you want to booking for this? Should we prioritize this, this, and this? So, yeah, it, it's got to be, you know, you've got to have your systems in place for it to work, for sure. I love it. I'd love to have an Emma to go into and be like, okay, Emma, just, uh, yeah, uh, this is what I need to do. Can you spend some time to explain the x-rays, photos, and see what the patient wants? And obviously the dentist has sussed this out, but actually going back to the patient journey. So they see you first, then you do the handover uh, in confidence with the dentist. Then the dentist would proceed to bring them in, I guess, do the, the, the examination. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the dentists like me to bring the patient in and introduce them, like Dr. Sambi and Trisha, they'll be looking after you today. I'll see you at the end of your appointment. For instance, Nihal, he prefers to go and greet his patient from the waiting room and take them up to his surgery, have a little chat with him on the way. And then I'm, most of the time we'll go, we've had a chat with Emma, she's told me X, Y and Z, let's sit you back and then we'll have a chat at the end of your appointment. So it's a nice, you know, clean way of doing everything. Everyone knows who's who and what's happening. Mm -hmm. How long have you spent with the patient? collecting the history, very vast and detailed history and having the chat and do photos as well, Emma? If needed, yeah. If for any reason I feel like a patient needs the photographs, then yes, if it's like a cosmetic or an orthodontic appointment. If it's just a, what I call an MOT, which makes the dentist laugh, I won't bother because I can just have a say, give me a big cheese smile and then I can see if there's anything like a coloured crown that's wrong or margins or lost filling I can just make a quick note of that and does it need to be thought of photograph okay so how long does that all take you about 10 minutes the whole well so all that history taking and potentially photos and just introducing yourself telling the patient what to expect that's just 10 minutes yeah about 10 minutes obviously it depends how chatty the patient is if you get a chatty one then mm. it might be a little bit over 
but normally as soon as they try to get into the practice, I normally take them straight into my room and get going. Um, and then I just let the, den- the dentists don't normally buy but they know the patients in the room with me, so they'll just catch up as soon as uh, they get into the clinical chair. And then uh, obviously this depends dentist to dentist, but on average, how long are the dentists that you work with booking for the new patient examination? So we allocate 40 minutes buddy patient Mm -hmm. and then once they've had that and maybe their dentists are starting to uh, talk about the different options uh, that are available at that point do they hand over to you on the same day or a different day just tell us more about what happens after yeah so normally the same day obviously everyone's entitled to annual leave so sometimes it might be you know obviously when i come back from holiday it's extensive but normally they'll tell the patient take a seat in the waiting room i'll pop in we put all the computer together go through times of treatment, anything that I need to know or need to know it's optional or upsell, anything like that. Once all saved, I'll bring the patient back into my room and again, we'd spend 10, 20 minutes just going through everything and sort of do it like a close down. Good. And at that point, how much detail do you think the dentist is going into treatment? Like the whole consent process, right? Like if they're saying, you know, the whole root canal versus extraction debate, oh, plus also you got some decay on these molars and also should we extract this wisdom tooth or not? They've had a bit of a chat there, but then it's, it's a bit difficult in terms of what they're leaving for you to also discuss and what they've discussed already. Any any sort of guidelines and hints to what you think the dentist should be saying in, in, in their 40 minutes versus what you see that you excel at the most with the time that you have after the clinical exam? Yeah, I mean, it's if it's like a basic, you know, this tooth is needing removal versus root canal treatment, then obviously a TCO should be able to sort of discuss them sort of you know, twos and problems. If it's more of an in-depth thing, like, I don't know, a splint, for instance, obviously that definitely needs to be just discussed in surgery. So I think a lot of the dentists depend on what they're like and what they're descriptive like. A lot of dentists like to speak, some dentists don't speak at all. And again, it varies from dentist to dentist. So normally when they do a handover, they'll tell me what they've already told the patient. So I don't need to go back over that too much. But we do have good consent processes with, within the practice. So what we normally do is a week before they're due to come in for an appointment for RCT extraction implant, we will give them a post and pre-op instruction via email and give them a week to at least read through everything and allow us to ask any questions just in case when they came for the examination, they didn't understand everything or they misconstrued something. It means everything's sort of cleared up before the actual appointment. And it's not that down to that when you sit a patient in the chair, they go, oh, no, I didn't put the tooth out today. It's like, that's what you booked in for. It means that they've mm-hmm. had that sort of week's notice. They know that they can't go to the gym. They know they can't drink alcohol for 24 hours. And it means that that consent process is locked in, that, you know, exactly that patient knows what's going on in that appointment. Have you ever had a miscommunication with the dentist? Has it, has it ever happened? Or is your all human stuff? I'm just trying to draw some maybe some funny stories from you maybe as well. But... Uh, you know, just humour me. Uh, any sort of a, a funny time where you thought, okay, yeah, we need to change how we work with this particular dentist because there's some miscommunication or confusions? I wouldn't say I've ever put the patient in for the wrong treatment, so to speak. But dentists can talk very backwards sometimes. And I sometimes have told a patient probably the wrong thing and then I've gone, I'm really sorry, I've told you completely the wrong thing, but the dentist is now explained this, this and this and you're backtracking. But luckily, I mean, I don't really mind being the person the wrong but I'll never make sure the dentist looks like they're the wrong it's always me that takes a flat but so even if it is a dentist I will never allow it I'll always say it's me so yeah I always got the back wow. <laughs> well done that is, that is lovely to hear so uh, well done too Emma do you, do you think TCOs 
as far as any data, I, mean, I got my bias. I, I think I know the answer, but do you think they're profitable? You know, a, a practice ultimately to have this spare room, uh, another person to pay the wage. Do you think they do it because the practice turnover will increase or do you think they'll do it because everyone just has more breathing space and everyone enjoy their quality of work more? I think it works both ways. I think the first one with profit and obviously bringing more into the practice is, yeah, it's got to. If you've got a TCO that is literally controlling all your treatment plans that are over a certain amount. So normally anything over sort of £1,500 is when I would track that patient and make sure that all their appointments are up to date and that I'm checking in every week to make sure that everything's going smoothly. Obviously, a lot of systems have things like Care Manager, which is SOE, and I'm guessing Dentally and all the other ones have similar things. Another reason what the TCO needs to be doing is sitting there on a weekly basis and going through all these open plans, giving the patient a call, making sure it's not just because they don't understand what the treatment's for, that they, from a health point of view, got decay, you've got a decay in his tooth. It's really important that you have this filling done. If it's only at six months, it could be bigger. It could go into a root canal treatment. And it's another reason why it's really important that a nurse or someone with a clinical background is having these conversations with a patient regarding open treatment. So from that point of view, yeah, it's got to. If someone's monitoring your patients and open course of treatment then and recalls, then surely the practice should be making more money. A receptionist can't do it. It's not viable for someone front of house to be dealing with recalls with a patient in front of them. And then obviously taking payments as well and making a relaxed environment. One of the things that we've done at Parkfield is take the phone lines off the main desk. So it's purely just a podium with no phone line. So it's just that patient being dealt with at that time. And that's helped massively with front of house and making sure that's all under control. From a patient sort of perspective, it means that they've got someone to always go to. So a lot of my patients are quite dependent on me now, which is, is nice because it means that they trust me and they understand that they can come to me. And they've got loads. Are you WhatsApping? Are you like a business WhatsApp? Yeah, kind of so we've got WhatsApp. I've actually just taken on a because we're so busy, <laughs> um, and I'm so busy. We've just taken on a virtual treatment coordinator as well. So it's called VTC, um, and what they do is they help with all the new patient phone calls. So if a new patient calls, it will go to our BTC team, Ellie and Danny, and they will vet the calls for us and they will allocate the right appointment and put them in the diary. And then they'll still see me on the first appointment. It just means that the front of house team are not having to worry about clinical questions or where they should be going in the diary because they're already busy doing their own job, which is looking after the patients that are actually in the physical building. And um, so that's quite nice if, if dentists haven't got a TCO but they feel like they want that extra support when booking new patients in and they haven't got a me to speak to them beforehand, then VTC would do that for them and ask all them questions, build a relationship, paint a picture of the practice for them as well. Excellent. And I think uh, at the moment you mentioned about care manager and uh, looking after patients with open plans at the moment, my, my nurse Zoe, my nurse Zoe is not only doing all the millions of things that nurses do, <laughs> she's also then uh, getting tasks set to uh, have a look at care manager, make sure she's going through it with a fine tooth comb. It's tough. Yeah. It just makes sense to me to, to have a TCO. I'm going to be sending this episode to my principals and twisting their arms. Say, you know what? Can we, can we get a TCO? We've got the spare surgery uh, now and again. It, it would be good. And I'm sure lots of other clinicians are thinking the same thing. Yeah, it'd have to be there like seven days a week. And you could have someone who could do it from home. You could have someone who come in two days a week and did it. It just purely depends on how many patients you are dealing with on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, the TCO role grows. I've gone from the practice having and not having a TCO to two and a half years being there. Is that dentists that I worked with originally were a bit unsure what I was supposed to be doing. 
And they're like, why are you here again? What, what, why can't we just do that? And then now they've come to the point where they're quite dependent on me and they like, when I'm on holiday, it's like, I don't want to be here, which is really, really nice. That means that they obviously have a lot of confidence in what I do, but it shows that the dentist does need support. Why are you got? I know your nurses are brilliant. I've been in that clinical world before. In surgery, you need the best person next to you. But mentally, why are you worried about a patient booking their next appointment? Why are you worried about how they're going to pay for their treatment? That's not your worry. That's for someone else to deal with, for sure. I love that so much. I, I'm going to make that my opening snippet on this podcast. <laughs> I, that is that is brilliant. I love that so much. Uh, Emma, you've answered all my questions about TCOs that, that I had for you. Is there any other messages you want to give? And I also want to learn, you know, how can, you know, if a practice is thinking about doing it, how can they learn more about this? Where do you where do you find the indeed of TCOs? Where How, how can you actually uh, help and facilitate practices to find a TCO or, or, or build that into their uh, infrastructure? So the only thing I wanted to mention was obviously the free consultation side. I feel like a lot of dental practices do still do free consultations, which is great for a patient. But we're still finding that dentists still do their own free consultations, which I think is just crazy. I think if you've got a skilled nurse like your nurse, who knows quite a lot about dentistry, about what you would do as a, a dentist, then it's good for them to be able to have that extra skill rather than looking for a care manager. <laughs> also, having that sort of base where a patient could just pop in the door and be seen straight away for a free consult rather than having to wait for a dentist to do so. So I think definitely when you're looking for a TCO, make sure they're clinical. Make sure that they can do free consultations that they're happy seeing patients on a one-to-one. Make sure they're spending time within the clinic so they understand how that you work and what treatments you offer. I mean, all our dentists at Parkfield have different things they like to do. So obviously with Jacket's endo, with our fixed implants, we've got Joe doing sleep apnea, Marion likes doing facial aesthetics. So you've got to really key in and find what that patient wants. You might end up seeing a free consultation and have three types of treatments come out of it because they actually never knew what they what you did as a practice. So the TCO is there as sort of a brand person, like you are the you're the walking brand of the practice, you're the person who knows absolutely everything about the practice what they do, how they can deliver it, how much it's going to cost, how long it's going to take. So yeah, you need to find someone that when you meet them, you think, actually, yeah, she could be the face of the practice. He or she, sorry, shouldn't be a face she. So we used to a nurses being she's, but the men are coming up with a dental nurse in the day. That's right? true. That's well, true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So please look for someone who is that person who you think, oh yeah, they could be the brand new. It must have been so nerve-wracking the first few times you did it, right? Just like, because you must have been so used to having a dentist there <laughs> in the same room. And then it was just you. Did you feel like really like, whoa, out, out, of your, out of your depth maybe? Yeah, for sure. The first time, obviously, when I was at Torah, the old dance practice, I was learning from a girl that I'd known for years. And she was just, okay, you've done a couple now. I'm going to leave you to it. And next minute, I'm doing ITO scans. I'm taking clinical photographs. I'm taking x-rays. I'm talking through positioning of teeth, occlusion. I'm just like... Hang on, I've just gone to uni five years and just not realised. And you forget how clinical you actually are. Because a dental nurse, you you assist in someone, but you actually know a lot. And at the TCO, you get to have your time and say, actually, I know this stuff. Yeah, okay, I get it wrong sometimes. I'm not perfect. And I'll book the patient in for a Maryland bridge and I've not checked the, the slide and to see if they're going to hit it, if they move the chin forward and, it's been times that, oh, and this plan's not going to work for this patient, but we're going to do this instead. Because you're not a dentist. But 90% of the time, tend to get it right over just learning what their patients want, what their dentist knows they need. 
So yeah, it can be very nerve wracking. You've got to persevere. It's okay to be wrong. Don't answer questions if you don't know the answers. And if in doubt, you've got a dentist next door, just get them to pop in and have a little look. It's not going to do any harm. If any practice principal out there has been trying to pep talk a nurse into developing their role into a treatment coordinator, please do send them this episode. I think Emma's given us great insight and talk about you know real world feelings and emotions, but also how well the whole model, the patient journey can be enhanced. I think that's brilliant. Is there any way you recommend we go to learn more, Emma? And a couple of places that you could look to. A lot of the good courses now are usually for free, which is great. So you got myself, I can come in and, and do some chats with you, one-to-one Zooms, check what the practice wants, help put some systems in place. And how do we reach out to you? How do anyone reach out to you? So I've got my own Instagram page, which is Emma TCO, which you can tag if you happen to, or an email address that I'm happy for you guys to post. Or you could just reach out to the practice and let them know that you want to speak to me. Other options are through implant providers or Invisalign. So Invisalign have got the wonderful Laura Horton, um, who's offering courses for their Invisalign providers. You've got Nia Den, who's got the lovely Alison, I think her name is, who's doing all the implant nursing coordinating. So reach out to your providers, your brands, and see if they're offering any free TCO training. Send the nurse on the course, see if they like the idea of it. Give them a pay- give them one patient to try and see how they get on. You might find not any of them need that much training. I personally am not on any training, so to speak. I've just self-taught, watched other people, watched dentists, got on a few courses and kind of took everything that I like and made it into my own system. Um, my system won't work for every practice, but a system will work somehow by changing a few things. We can make it work. Well, Emma, I, th- I think I can uh, safely speak for all the Patricia that you are uh, very easy to talk to. You're you're bubbly, you're smiley, you're you know you're you're honestly I, I can see why you took to a treatment coordinator like a duck to water. So I think if you have if you're listening and you have an Emma in your practice, you know cherish them, but you know tr- see if you can push them and develop them and let them blossom into into something amazing. Like we're in the 2023, I think this is going to grow year on year on year. So I think uh, if this has uh, pushed you over the edge to consider it, it's definitely got me to kick my principles into like hey. Can we consider this and you know, have that conversation again but i think it's one to be had with your own teams and it's got to be right for your practice in your business model emma thank you so much for t- uh, g- giving up the time to be on the podcast i'll make sure i'll put in the show notes your instagram handle and how they can get in touch with you uh, as well as all the other people that you said thank you so, so much for having me as well it's been lovely to speak to you Phil. Thank you so much. Well, there we have it, guys. Treatment coordinators, I think they're brilliant. I'm definitely going to be twisting John and Chris's arm to try and consider, can we employ this into practice? And it's really got to be right for your business, right? It's got to be right for your practice, where you are in your journey of developing your dental practice. But I just think there's so many advantages of having a treatment coordinator. So if you found this episode useful, please give it a thumbs up wherever you're watching. If you're on YouTube, like it. If you're on Spotify, Apple, please rate it. This is how the podcast grows. And of course, if you want to get CPD, if you're a Protrusive Premium member by visiting protrusive.app for less than the cost of a tax-deductible Nando's per month, you get premium access, all the clinical videos and CPD for episodes just like this emailed to you by Marie, who is a CPD manager for Protrusive. The website for that is protrusive.app. You can actually learn on your laptop and answer the questions and it's super easy to claim your CPD. Otherwise, I look forward to catching you same time, same place next week. Bye for now.